Welcome to the second message in a series entitled Q&A. And what this series, where this series originated from was we asked the church a couple months ago to submit any question you wanted having to do with God, life, church life, um, whatever. And, and we got a lot of great questions. You did a great job in, uh, in volunteering to do that. We really, really appreciate that. So we got together and we got so many questions, we couldn't address every one. We tried to categorize every one of these under a separate heading and then do a message sort of touching on those subjects. And today, uh, I, get to, I had the opportunity to speak about those questions that went something like this. Listen, I went to school and I got a degree uh, in whatever it was, and I believe in evolution, but I also believe in God, so how do the two work together? What about dinosaurs? What about dinosaurs? What, what, what do you think about dinosaurs? How old is the earth? How old is man? Was the earth really created in seven days? Literally? And on and on and on and on those questions went. So we created this category called faith and science. And I'm going to speak about the relationship between faith and science. And... Uh, <clears throat> Some messages are, are, are meant to get us to feel, okay? And some messages are more, are more geared toward getting us to think. Hopefully all messages do a little bit of both. Today's going to fall in the latter category, to get you to think a little bit, which is a good thing, as we'll see in a minute. And it falls under this sort of a heading of apologetics, which is a religious word for, you know, defending the faith. But, you know, faith and science, uh, it wasn't always this way. They were sort of, they walked hand in hand. For a long time, but somewhere along the line, they started took separate paths. And now, if uh, you know, sort of the new breed of atheism really is quite, you know, they're against each other. They have this mutually exclusive relationship. In other words, uh, it is said if you're a true scientist, you cannot, you, you do not have room for faith because science is about being able to explain things and repeat the same thing over and over again, and faith isn't about that. Faith is about stuff that just doesn't make sense. And some creationists and, and, and you know, faithful people say, well, no, it, you, can't, you can't, there's no room for science because these facts over here don't add up to what the Bible says. Therefore, there, there's this kind of contentious relationship between faith and science, and I don't think that's what God intended. But it can get downright, you know, ugly, depending on how how deeply people believe their position. It was like when the atheist lived for years next to the believer. They lived right across the fence from each other, and both were vocal proponents of their position. And they, they let each other know, no uncertain terms, that the other one was right. They'd give each other dirty looks over the fence. You know that kind of thing? And the atheist said, I'm going to get this person because this is silliness. I'm going I'm, I'm to wait for my opportunity to really... Uh, Really show them how silly they are. So sure enough, the atheist was out in his yard doing some yard work, and he heard the believer in her house, and she was praying. And as I said, she was very vocal about her position. So she was very vocal about her faith. And she said, Lord Jesus, I have no groceries this week. God Almighty, I need you to come through for me. You always do. I need you to get me groceries because I have no food. Well, the atheist overheard her praying this, and he said, ah, this is my chance. I'm going to show her what a kook she really is. 
So he gets in his car and drives down to the neighborhood grocery store and he picks up a big old bag of groceries and he waits for the proper time and he sneaks up onto her porch, lays them groceries at the foot of her door, rings the doorbell, runs around into the bushes and waits. So this woman comes to the door, she opens the door, she sees the bag of groceries and she goes, Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you, Lord God. And she goes on and on, very, 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 you know, loud as she usually does and that's his chance he jumps out he says see you're a nut job you're crazy there is no god there is no jesus you you just believe in all this magical stuff you don't want to know something that didn't come from god that came from me i went over there and i bought those groceries i put them at your doorstep the woman stopped in her tracks tracks and she was quiet for the first time in years but little by little her eyes started to Open wider, and her arms started to go up. And she said, Lord Jesus. And she went crazy, running around the house, God Almighty, on and on. And the atheist said, what is your problem? You're kookier than I thought you were. Didn't you hear a word that I said? I bought the groceries. She stopped. She looked dead at him, and she said, I knew God would come through and bring me groceries. I just didn't know he'd make the devil himself pay for them. You know, it's this contentious relationship at extremes. So one says, man, you're a kook. The other one says, you're a demon-possessed. You know, they can't talk. And it, the prevailing thought is that they, they're mutually exclusive. They can't live together. And I don't think that's what God intended. Science, said if, science says that if you give man enough time, they're eventually going to figure it all out. Extreme religion says... Ignore the fossil evidence and ignore the sciences. Ignore the observation because it doesn't say it in the Bible. It isn't. And if you don't believe like I do, you can't be a true believer anyway. Extremes. Contentious relationship. But I'm here to tell you this, especially if you're a skeptic this morning, that intelligent people differ in opinions. And it's not a matter of salvation. So if you believe in evolution or if you believe in creation, if you believe in intelligent design or Big Bang Theory, it doesn't matter. Really, there's room to think, and God wants us to think. It's not about matters of salvation. Sincere people will disagree. You know, God created us. He knows who we are. He knows how we're wired. And he created something up here, and he created something down here. And there's a head heart relationship and he knows that it's difficult for the heart to accept what the mind has at first understood questions are not bad we cannot be afraid of asking questions i, I suppose like a little kid you know when a, when a child asks questions why 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 after a while parents just comes up with that you know just because you know kind of thing you know, you can, get, you can want answers to every question and no one's going to be able to give you that no matter what's promised and you can get in that proverbial paralysis by analysis. Well, I don't understand it, so therefore I won't. You know, you, you'll never get an answer to anything, whether it's in the faith or in sciences. But it's good to think. It's good to, to take time and ask those questions no matter where we are. God created us this way. You know, it's not about suspending our minds. As a matter of fact, in Psalm 8, 
the psalmist writes the following. He says, When I consider your heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have put, put in place, dot, 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 dot. It's a psalm that's written by David, who later became the greatest king in Israel's history. And I think David was a very kind of artsy guy, and he was a very... He was into nature, but he would look out the nature and he would just be in awe. But what I want us to think about is that throughout the Bible, the Bible's littered with words like consider. He says, when I consider what I see, it, it's like the song says, it frees my spirit to worship you. I think there's this innate thing built in us that we can only tap into when we stop quiet life and consider I, we would maybe call it the awe factor. That's, that's, that, that's when you get in the car and you drive here to church and it's raining. You're not going, oh, man, this is going to mess up my makeup, my hair. I'm going to get wet. This is miserable. You're thinking, wow, Lord, thank you. You bring this rain. It gives life. Or on a sunny day, on a way to work to get to that important thing, which I always, you know, oh, I got to go save the world. Wow, it's a beautiful day. This is incredible. The awe factor, that only comes with us considering, but that comes with thinking, meditating, and stopping, getting off the merry-go-round of life, and taking time to consider, ask that question. God goes on to say in Psalm 32, he talks about nature, and he says what not to be like. He says, don't be like the horse and the mule, which have no understanding but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Now, I, I don't think God is picking on horses and mules. He created them. God isn't an animal hater. Um, there's a lot of cool stuff we can learn from nature. I mean, when you look at the animal, my dog, I love my dog. My dog is smart, and the, I've always contended that if, if I treated people like my dog treats me, I'd be much more like Jesus. <laughs> what I mean is this. My dog doesn't matter what kind of day or afternoon or last five minutes we had. He always, I call him, he comes up. His tail's a wagon. I, I never heard my dog in the 10 plus years I owned him. When I called him, say, oh, sorry, Gasto, I don't have time. I got more important things to do. He's there for me, man, all the time. If I treated people like that, goodness gracious. I mean, we can learn a lot. This isn't slamming animals or animal uh, intelligence or any of that. But don't mistake for a moment that animals have, no matter what species, has the self-conscious awareness, the introspective ability, the spiritual instinct that we have that human beings have. God says, listen, I created all this. He said, but you, you, human being, you are the apex, the zenith, the, 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 my masterpiece. You are the top of my creation because I created you in my image. In my image. God says, listen, don't be like animals robots, you know, just going around or being led around by your instincts. Stop, consider, think, understand. Questions are good because it's a head-heart relationship. 
that's been that way since the beginning. Nature and science are but one avenue by which God will use to reveal himself to us. That's, the, that's how it's been intended all the way. What happens is we get it all kind of mixed up, and then we start ending up making an idol out of what's created, and we bow down and worship the God. Say, no, 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 I worship the creator. It's been this way. This is my plan from the beginning. Romans 1 verse 20 says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what, what has been made so that men are without excuse. From the beginning, the intent of all that we see is for us to, to, to recognize that there's something bigger than the creation, no matter how awe-inspiring it is. And Jesus and God appeals to us on the basis of this to get to here. As a matter of fact, Jesus said, why, why did Jesus do miracles? Why didn't he just come and, and, you know, just preach? He did miracles to get people's attention as evidence that he, he's outside of this, the, the, you know, the laws of nature don't apply to him. And, and he even appealed to people who wouldn't, who wouldn't listen to him. He said, look, if you don't believe in my message, believe at least on the evidence of the miracles. Again, it's not like we suspend our minds and believe. That's not what he's calling you to do, no matter where you're at. He wants us to, to get both of them involved. Because he knows that's how we were created. But it takes, it takes effort, it takes time. Uh, and ultimately, it takes faith. It takes faith. I think one of the traps that we fall into is that we try to take the message that God is giving us and we try to apply it the way that we um, have learned to apply all information that we're given. Um, and we get into trouble. I'll explain that in a minute. But I'll say this. The Bible is not a textbook. Okay? The Bible is to be interpreted. It's a book made up of stories, of historical narrative, of poetry, of song, of prophecy, of apocalyptic language, end of times, that, that's what that means. Uh, it, it's not literal. Now, the Bible can be literal at times, can touch on science, does touch on science at times, and when it does, it's right spot on, because God knew it all before it was. But that's not its intent. And when the Bible is read as a textbook or a science book, we get into trouble, you know, Things, we try to squeeze things in there that aren't supposed to be there. The Bible's to be interpreted. I'll give you an example. Jesus said, do not murder. Uh, so, you know, if you've got a knife or you've got a gun, doesn't matter, don't kill. That's pretty straightforward. There's, you know, a lot of things that are straightforward. Now, Jesus also said, if your right eye causes you to sin, I believe it was right eye, yeah, he said, gouge it out. So, pop it out. Oh, I'm still sinning. Boop, let me pop it out. But guess what? I can still ah, sin with this. You see what I'm saying? That's not literal. And if you try to make that literal, you're going to have a bunch of blind people falling over edges and stuff still sinning, you know? And my, my point is that the Bible's not meant to be read as a science book, as a rule book, as a textbook. 
I went to a uh, seminar years ago, and it was put on by this Jewish scholar, but he was a Christ follower. And this guy was an expert on the culture of the Jews today and back in the day of Jesus. He said it was called the Eastern Mindset. He said, we have a Western mindset. He said, what's, what's important about trying to understand some of it is because the Bible is written with an Eastern mindset in view. Okay? Follow me here. And he came up with this illustration, and it just stuck. It was so simple. I, and I still remember it years later, but I remember it was amazing. He said, we in the West, if we want to learn about something that we, don't, we know nothing about, we approach it from the time we're little till we get older this way, by data. We're data-driven. He goes, so, for instance, if we wanted to learn about a frog and we knew nothing about a frog, what we would do is we would send somebody into the field, a marsh or something, and look for a frog, capture it, bring it back to a controlled environment, and then we sit there and observe it. And then we, we kind of, uh, you know, let it be affected. We put heat on it, cold, and see how it responds to that stuff. We might inject it with some stuff. And ultimately, you know what we would probably do if we knew nothing about this? We would take a frog, we would kill it, and dissect it. We would open it up, very tediously remove everything, all the while recording everything we do and diagramming it. Today, we take a picture of it. We then take all this information, we in the West, the way we learn, and we compile it in some logical format, and we put it in a book. Or today in the information age, a website. Follow me here. So then somebody walks in, hey, what's a frog? Okay, I want you to pick up this textbook. I want you to go to this website, open it up. There's a frog. He says, that's quite different than the way the Western mind thinks. If they wanted to learn about a frog, they would go to the frog's environment and just observe the frog. That's it. Boy, how, yeah. no, they just observe it. Sort of study it from the outside in. That's how they learn. That's how the Bible's written. For one day, if scientist somewhere, before he gets his Nobel Peace Prize, he discovers the chemical makeup of love, this thing we call love, in a Petri dish. And they're able to mix chemicals and poof, there it is, love. The Bible doesn't tell us what the chemical makeup of love is. And maybe someday people are going to be able to figure out, smart people, you know, what the brain does and all those chemicals interact. But does that explain love? The Bible, God's language, talks about love from the outside in and from the inside out what it is. How to, how to demonstrate it, what it's not. It's the difference between looking at a some masterpiece by Renoir, Van Gogh, and going, wow, what a cool painting. Let's explain it and explain these are the colors that go into it. These are the brush strokes, and this is the art theory behind it. Does that explain a masterpiece? A masterpiece is a masterpiece when it works together as the sum of its parts and creates something. The Bible talks about the sum of the parts. It's not a science book that deals, it's never intended to, 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 to deal with everything on a detail level like science, like data. And when we read it that way, when we try to squeeze it into that, we get into trouble. We miss the point. When we start arguing about, well, was it literally created in seven days? 
what was it? How, 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 how do I? Yeah, you got to believe that in spite of all the scientific evidence. So we run across a question. How long, how old is the world? You know, how, how old? The Bible's account in Genesis says that the, the earth was, the world was created out of nothing seven days. Well, six days and then the Lord rested. So you go, well, what do I do with that? Science says that the world is like 4.5 billion years old. Well, when we read the Bible and we understand that this isn't literal and we start looking at the Bible that way, it starts to make more sense and it frees us up to say, ah, okay. Like for instance, in 2 Peter 3.8, when Peter was dealing with people who were, who were infiltrating the church because it had been like 15 years since Jesus was crucified and they said, see, Jesus was crucified. He said, all this stuff's going to happen. It hasn't happened, so therefore it isn't. So he was dealing with doubt creeping in. And, and Peter makes this appeal. He says in 2 Peter 3.8, But do not forget one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. Oh, there you go. Peter equated one year with a thousand. That means that really the biblical account isn't really one or six days. It's 6,000 days. No, no, you're missing the point. I think Peter was, it's kind of like you came up to me today and, and I had a busy day and you say, you got a lot of things to do. Man, I got a million things to do. You, you see how that worked? I don't think Peter said, uh, uh, now every time you see one, it means a thousand. No, don't do that to that language. His point is it doesn't matter. The exact age doesn't matter. As a matter of fact, for me, it's consistent with the creation account. If that is true, then from nothing there came something and it was done in a successive fashion every day building on itself. Whether that day was a thousand years, a hundred years, a million years, a billion years, a hundred billion years, no matter what's, what's discovered, it's consistent with the biblical account of creation. You see what I mean? Makes sense. When we read the Bible and we don't make it a science book or textbook, well, what about dinosaurs? You know, those things that we see in Jurassic Park. What about dinosaurs? Well, they're not in the Bible. Yep, they're not in the Bible. Neither is DNA. Neither is uh, molecular biology. Neither is uh, calculus or social studies. Neither is um, cells or, you know, on and on. Arguably, there's more stuff not in the Bible than in the Bible. Just because something isn't talked about in the Bible doesn't mean it wasn't. I personally, and you don't have to agree with me, believe in the scientific fact that dinosaurs lived and, and were you know, are extinct 65 million years ago. They went extinct. Now I base that on my own thinking. And you don't have to degree, disagree with me. Intelligent people disagree. And not so intelligent people disagree. You know what I mean? We, it's not a matter of salvation. And I believe things, I, I see with my own eyes that species go extinct even today. So therefore, why couldn't they have gone extinct? You see what I'm saying? It's, it's consistent. When we read the Bible and we look at God and realize, okay, it isn't so cut and dry. And just because people throw facts at me or theology at me doesn't mean I have to agree. It's not a matter of salvation. Purpose of this. Last point, I'm just going to use my, my 
my Timex little Ironman, not very expensive watch. It's got all that, you know, lap time and best time and all that stuff. Stuff that if you have a digital watch, you probably have. And I've thrown it now four times, so it's probably not going to work. But nonetheless, it's... Say I'm walking, work with me on this. I'm walking in the desert. There's nothing around for thousands of miles, okay? Nothing around thousands of miles. And I come walking up. There I find a watch. I find this Timex watch. Pick it up. And the way I see it, I got a couple different options. Either this thing was put there. Or this thing, after billions of years, kind of just came to. If I believe that it was just it came together, I've got to believe a lot of things. I've got to believe that the elements just all came together. The heat, the rain, the cold, everything, everything just happened over a period of billions of years. All the materials that go into this watch, from the plastic and the circuit board, to all the metal alloys and the circuitry and to the, to the rubber and the different kinds of ores that go into the band. Everything came together. And over a period of billions of years from nothing, with simply nothing, with the sand, it just came together and was able to create those elements necessary to build this watch. Not only that, i got to take the na- na- next natural step of progression, which is not only so, but every single piece within this had to be formed to the exact shape and size where they could all work together. So now you had all these pieces. Now I got to take another step and believe all those pieces came together over time to fit perfectly and work. Voila, you got to watch. Or I believe that, well, that wasn't here. It never was here. Uh, And there's something behind it. I'll call it God. That not only was there something behind it, engineering, there was intelligence and there was planning and it, it, had, to, it had to be designed and constructed and it just, never, it just didn't come up from nothing. To me, it's much easier to believe as I look around, especially out there, that, man, something's behind us than the other belief that says, well, it just happened. Whichever, whichever one of those two approaches you accept, at the end of the day, it comes down to a step of faith. Don't let anybody fool you. It is about believing something that we're never going to be able to prove. We can have theories. You can tell me there, there is no God. I can tell you there is a God, and we're never going to be able to, uh, to get beyond that. I just choose to believe on the evidence of the creation account and the evidence of what I read, of human nature, of what I see, that for every star that's discovered, there's something beyond it, and there's something beyond it, and there's something beyond that. And it's not us and our brilliance. Even God created the brilliant minds that make these discoveries that help us to live the kind of life that we live. Aristotle was attributed with the following quote when he was talking about the subject of natural science. He said, if the art of shipbuilding were in the wood, there would be ships by nature. Listen, every time, like yesterday, I hear about somebody 
who, who had an MRI or a CT scan or some other test at, at, a, at a hospital somewhere administered, and, and they, they, through early detection, they have been spared. What would have been undetectable five years ago, 10 years ago, would have meant death 20 years ago. I, I give praise to God because I believe God works through science and God works through nature. I believe that God gave certain people the gifts to think. But what happens is we get that twisted up and all of a sudden we start bowing down and worshiping the idol of science, of medicine, of whatever it is, of intellect, and we forget that's not what it was intended to be. I got a, a, a very, one of my closest friends, probably the smartest person I know on the planet, personally know. He's a doctor, and we, we, would, we work out together, whatever. But back when he was in medical school, he would show up to the gym. Now, this guy, he, he's kind of like Spock in Star Trek, live long and prosper. You know, like no emotion or little emotion. You know that. Some of us who are emotionally constipated understand that. You know, it just, you know, he's data-driven. You know what I mean? He, he, that's how he works. That's what... And that's, it makes him fascinating because he knows so much about everything. And I don't, you know, so I'm attracted to that. But, but he really wrestled through his, 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 the process of coming to faith in Christ. And through wrestling and through reasoning and through all that, he came to a faith in Christ. It was really cool to see. But I had never seen him more fired up about his faith than when he comes into the gym, out of medical school, mind you, and he goes, Casto, you won't believe what we did today. We dissected cadavers. You know, and this is over like months. So he'd come in and I'd go, oh no, I didn't want to hear about this stuff. But he was going to give it to me anyway. He goes, man, we did this. And then he goes into detail. After I'm like, dude, could you just give me another way? You know, and then it just, but he kept talking about it. But it amazed him. And he would say the following. I never forgot. I don't, he said this. He said, Man, we did this procedure. We took this out. Do you realize how many things have to happen for us to take one breath? God is incredible. I just about fell over with the way, you know, because that wasn't him. He was worshiping God through science. The new discovery took added to his faith, didn't take away from his faith. Showed him how little he knew versus how much he, was, he knew. I think, through that poor illustration, that's the relationship between science and faith that's probably closer to the truth. That's how the two work together. We're supposed to be like little kids and go, whoa, whoa. Creation is incredible. New discoveries are just incredible. But they all go back to the creator and not the created. At the end of the day, these differences aren't about matters of salvation. And at the end of the day, I don't, I don't think there's anybody who's ever going to have every answer. And it, if anybody claims to... They come to you and say, I've got every answer to the universe. Go ahead and tuck tail and run the other way. Because nobody does. A lot of it is theory and everything else. And I don't mean to belittle that. But what I'm saying, it's more plausible 
realistic to believe that the watch was put there than it is the other way around. It says this, God says this in Isaiah 55. He says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As far as, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. When the Bible talks about the heavens, it talks about the ground and up for the most part, beyond, way beyond. So as our telescopes get bigger and we get more pictures of more galaxies and black holes and all those things that, you know, it keeps going. God says, listen, you'll never understand it. You're incapable of understanding it. But this, this one thing I want you to understand, I stand outside of the space, time continuum, looking in. You don't. But you can step out of time, space, and you, through Jesus, can live forever. That's God. The Creator saying to the created, listen, you can be a part of this. It's through Jesus. And though it's, it can be frustrating that we don't have answers and every, every question spawns 10 questions and so it just increases exponentially, we can be assured of one thing. Though we will never understand God, the Creator, no one will. When you take that step of faith and reason and trust and you decide to do it, you're given something and it's a new perspective, it's a new understanding and I'll close out by reading 1 Corinthians 2.16. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we, he's speaking to believers, have the mind of Christ. With Christ, you'll see things differently. Things begin to make sense, and maybe in a different way. But it's all consistent with the head and the heart. Let's pray together. Father, as we, uh, <clears throat> as we attempt to think about things that are so beyond our ability to comprehend and reason, even the brightest minds um, will never be able to understand all this. I pray that, uh, Lord, you be with uh, everyone who's heard this message, that, Lord, particularly if they're thinking or, or wrestling with certain things, that you would make clear who you are to them and even to those who are believers, God, that, uh, that you would free their minds up, the creation, that questions would free their minds up to worship you and adore you and recognize you more rather than less. Thank you for our, the, ability that you, the abilities that you have blessed each and every one of us with for your word and for our ability to, to think for ourselves. We love you and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.